Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 344th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel broadcasting in this eighth year across the world from our studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology beats entertainment. You know, this has um, changed considerably a few years ago. There was a lot of media people here, but not many um, entrepreneurs or incubators. But now, from... Um, Santa Monica to Venice, it's all entrepreneurs, incubators, accelerators, VCs. It's a very happening place. In my newsletter and on this radio program, we often discuss the very rapidly approaching cashless society. It's happening much faster than I than I'd anticipated, but and I hadn't given a lot of thought to like buskers, for example. Walking down the street over the weekend, Memorial Weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and uh, there's literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of buskers. And how do they make any money when there's no coins or cards to throw into their hat? You know, we'll all be out there paying for everything with uh, smartphones and contactless cards. So how do we give a musician on the street our spare change? Now, London has come up with an absolutely brilliant solution. It's a new scheme that outfits performers with contactless payment terminals. They look a bit like parking meters. So when you want to tip the artist, you just uh, go in, type into the terminal, and swipe your... um, your phone, and they get a tip. Now, Charlotte Campbell, who's a full-time street performer in London, and she was part of the trial of this thing, and she says that the new technology significantly increased the contributions that she received. And, And then she found that when people go over and tap to donate while she's singing, other people follow them. So they actually, she's actually had a line of people wanting to give her money on the terminal. Now, what a bloody good idea that is. And the terminals are um, connected by smartphone or tablet, and they accept payments of fixed amounts set by the performer. So the performer might say, you know, I'll take a dollar or I'll take $2 or I'll take 5 or I'll take tens, and... Uh, you just go and tap the amount, put in your code or swipe the, your phone and you're done. It's fantastic. And you know, when you think about it, street performers, most of them are fairly young, they'll be able to adapt to this change really quickly as will the people that are watching. But I started thinking about those who won't be able to, like 
the homeless. Now, the homeless are looking for money. When notes and coins disappear from city streets, how are you going to get money to the homeless? What about the person who comes over and washes your car window when you stopped at the lights? And not too many homeless have um, a smartphone or a tablet to accept the money. So, when if you don't have a bank account or no access to the internet, how are you supposed to live in a world that doesn't have any, any cash? So that's a question that someone needs to come up with an answer to. And I doubt if the answer is giving every homeless person a smartphone or a tablet. But we need to do something. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I broadcast the show from the Incredible Crypto Invest Summit at the Los Angeles Convention Center. And I've mentioned this a couple of times since. It attracted 170 expert speakers and a sold-out crowd of 4,500 very enthusiastic attendees. I sat through every presentation and every panel that I could get to, and I learned a hell of a lot. It was brilliant. It uh, got me to invest in some new cryptos, and I met some amazing people. Now, the organisers have just announced a repeat cryptocurrency blockchain and ICO summit in Los Angeles. It's on the 22nd to the 24th of October. The 22nd of October is my son's birthday, and I've got him coming down from his gig at Google in San Francisco to go to the summit. So that'll be good. Now, last month's event sold out, and this one will also, and they sell out very quickly. You can buy a two-day pass right now for just $199. Now, on the last one, which is only half the size of this one, as the um, opening day approached, tickets were $1,000. So if you go on to CryptoInvestSummit.io and book now, you'll save about 800 bucks on the ticket. So um, go on to CryptoInvestSummit.io .io and book yourself a ticket now. Now, if you've ever worked in a secure office or stayed in a hotel and you're anything like me, <laughs> it's highly likely that you've lost your key card and you've been forced to go to your office manager to let you into your office. You feel like a git or watch worse. Go down to the hotel receptionist, stand in a line, go through the thing of proving who you are again, and then confess that you're an idiot. But a new startup called Open Path wants to save you that embarrassment. Over the course of the last few years, the team at Open Path has developed and patented hardware and software that allows employees to open, open secure doors. And you use the company's Bluetooth-compatible SurePath mobile technology right from your smartphone. So that's pretty cool. So you just use a smartphone and open up your secure door without a keypad. 
same with the hotel. That's good. Of course, if you lose your phone, you're screwed, but you've got to try not to lose your phone. Uh, Co-founders at Open Path, James Segill and Alex Kezarani. They got very, very rich after selling Edgecast Networks, which is a content delivery delivery network that they co-founded in 2006, and they sold it to Verizon for 350 million smackers. So what they've done, they've used a few million of their own dollars to pursue their passion of creating a new way to open a door. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Make a shed load of money by creating a new way to open a door. Hmm. So you don't have to be, come up with all sorts of really trick stuff. Just do good stuff. These days in tech, boring is the new sexy. And companies are coming out of the woodwork to create practical, smart gadgets. Another example is um, surveillance doorbells for the home. I mean, that's pretty simple too, isn't it? Now we've got to do, now that we can, um, we've got, all we've got to do now is just find a way to create smart employees and smart hotel guests, some way to upgrade my brain. <laughs> Not as easy as it seems. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 to 60 seconds every day to read. And every day we tackle a different subject. We do advances in medicine to new apps to new technology. We talk about Hyperloop and autonomous cars and blockchain and anything that's new. And we give you an up-to-date on all of it. And tomorrow's newsletter is about how blockchain technology is really shaken up the financial technology sector in the areas of um, database management, supply chain information, and more. So, for example, if you are interested in fintech applications of the blockchain, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll. It's absolutely free. The information's invaluable, and you need it. Now, SpaceX and Tesla CEO, Elon Musk, is famously productive. Now, Musk recently told Tesla employees they'd be moving to an ambitious 24-7 schedule so they could get the Model 3 production on track. You may recall that just a few months ago, Model 3s were being manufactured at only 200 a week. Well, now production's a hell of a lot better at 3,500 units a week, but still has a long way to go. And Elon Musk gets a lot done. I mean, he's 46. CEO revolutionising the spaceflight industry with SpaceX, transforming the world of the electric car at Tesla and pushing neuroscience and transportation forward at Neuralink and the boring tech company. Musk's goals are pretty hard to keep up with, but when Elon says something, you have to pause and not say, well, shit, that's impossible. You zip your mouth, you think about it, you find ways to get it done because most of the things he comes up with on the surface of it seem impossible. And at the end of an email announcing 
the changes that he wants. Musk offered employees a list of his own productivity recommendations. From these tips, it's clear that Musk is not a fan of meetings, bureaucracy, hierarchy, or any system that impedes immediate communication. He prefers people apply common sense to the task at hand. And he also told employees that if they had any ideas for making work at Tesla better and more effective, they should let him know. So here are the seven productivity tips that Musk offered in the letter. And these are in his own words. Large format meetings waste people's time. Excessive meetings are the blight of big companies and almost always get worse over time. Get rid of all large meetings unless you are certain that they're providing value to the whole audience, in which case keep them really short. Secondly, meetings should be infrequent unless a matter is urgent. So get rid of frequent meetings unless you're dealing with an extremely urgent matter. Meeting frequency should drop rapidly once the matter is resolved. Thirdly, if you don't need to be at a meeting, leave. Walk out of a meeting or drop off a call as soon as it's obvious that you aren't adding value. It's not rude to leave. It's rude to make someone stay and waste their time. But avoid confusing jargon. Don't use acronyms or nonsense words for objects, software or processes at Tesla. In general, anything that requires an exp explanation inhibits communication. We don't want people having to memorize a glossary just to function at Tesla. Next, don't let hierarchical structure make things less efficient. Communication should travel the shortest path necessary to get the job done, not through the chain of command. So any manager who attempts to enforce chain of command will soon find themselves working elsewhere. And this one follows on from that. If you need to get in touch with someone, do so directly. A major source of issues is poor communication between departments. The way to solve this is to allow free flow of information between all levels. So if you need to get somebody something done by someone way up the tree, just go straight to them. Talk to them directly. And the last one, don't waste time on following silly rules. In general, always pick common sense as your guide. If following a company rule is obviously ridiculous, then the rule should change. So... I've been saying most of these things for about 30 years. Somehow they seem to make a hell of a lot more sense and don't say sound rude when Elon says them. We've had a lot of weak feedback this week on last week's interview with VC billionaire Tim Draper. You may recently recall that um, Tim said the Bitcoin price prediction of 250000 per coin in four years. Tim believes Bitcoin will be bigger than Tesla, Hotmail and Skype combined. So... He thinks it's bigger than the Iron Age, the Renaissance, and it's bigger than the Industrial Revolution. So you can catch Tim at the next Crypto Invest Summit. And today we've got another great interview for entrepreneurs. My guest medal member, John Lipesay, is a top sales expert and funding strategist. He's got over 20 years of experience. He's also one hell of a good guy. He hosts a successful pitch podcast with investors from around the world and is the pitch mentor at startfast.net. 
which is the number one accelerator in upstate New York. John is the author of a successful pitch. He takes startups. I love this line. This is a great line. He takes startups from invisible to investable. I'll be back with my mate John Liversay after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, where we're being broadcast across the world this week from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, where technology meets entertainment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Where over the past five and a half or a bit more years, we've given you insights into the lives of, I don't know, somewhere around 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about what they do what the challenges that they faced along the way and we talk about how they overcame those challenges and try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to be successful in business. Failure rates up over 95% and so the 5% that do make it are obviously doing something right. So if you're an entrepreneur or a business person in general out there, then you should buy as many books as you can by people who are successful and read articles about them and uh, listen to segments like this where you get some pretty good tips on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. John Liversay is a great bloke, another metal guy. Uh, he's a top sales expert and funding strategist with over 20 years of experience. He hosts the Successful Pitch Brought podcast with investors from around the world and is the pitch mentor at startfast.net, which is the number one accelerator in upstate New York. You know, for those of you who have made pitches to one investor or a group of investors, it's a challenging task and uh, there are ways that you can do it that are successful and there are some simple things that you can do that really screw up those presentations. So John gives startups the pitching secret to become irresistible to investors, and that's what we're all looking for. Now, when John works with startups, they become master storytellers so that they can inspire investors to join their team. 
John has been featured by both Entrepreneur and Inc. and is the author of The Successful Pitch. And this is a great expression. John takes startups from invisible to investable. That's really clever. I wish I had a thought of that. John, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Well, thanks, Bob. It's great to be with you. Now, most entrepreneurs that you speak to, I, I have entrepreneurs come to me almost every day, as you do, and they all say, we have got the next billion-dollar product. It's the be-all and end-all. It's terrific. And uh, they think that if their product's good, then that's all that they need. Um, and that's far from the truth, isn't it? Your, it's, it's interesting, your view that uh, investors say to invest in the jockey and not the horse. That is so true. Yes, um, they tell me all the time that, you know, if you if we give you 10 minutes to pitch in front of our angel group, don't take five minutes giving us a product demo because that's not how we decide who we give the money to. So that big aha for a lot of founders, especially first-time founders, is, oh, you're investing in me and my team more than my idea? And the reason is that the idea will probably pivot even after you've been given the money. And it's re- it requires a team and a founder with a strong vision a big market, and a unique solution to a problem that's being solved more than the bells and whistles of what the particular app or product is doing. I find so many uh, entrepreneurs that come to me are either solo and don't have anybody around them or they've got brother Jimmy and cousin Freddie and somebody that they met along the way that have no real experience in what it is that they're doing, that is a goof, isn't it? It really is, Bob, because investors want to see that the team ideally has worked together in another startup. That's the dream team for them, right? right? If you've been together, you have a re- working relationship, and you even have a successful exit, well, that makes it much easier for the investors to say yes to that team because what the investors really care about is getting a three to five return on their investment in three to five years. That's the unspoken question that they have in their head. How will this fit into my portfolio? But more importantly, is this team wide and deep? In other words, are both the founder and the co-founder marketing experts, but no one's a tech expert? Or are they both tech expert and no one knows marketing? So they're looking for a team that has complementary skill sets, not the exact same skill. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I'm out there. I've got a product, and I think it's pretty good. Uh, how do I first make contact with investors? How do I go about doing that? Well, you know, investors tell me they see about 2,500 pitches in a year and fund 25 of them. 24 of those 25 come from a warm introduction. Yes. So you really need to get a warm introduction. One investor told me, if you can't figure out a way to get an introduction to me, you probably can't figure out how to get to your customers. So that's one of the things that I really offer is once you have a great pitch from working with me, then I'll make the strategic introductions to the right investor that's funding your type of startup, right? If you're a fintech investor, there's no reason to show a pitch that's all mobile and shopping related and vice versa. So that's the other thing is people really need to do their homework on what kind of investments does this particular investor like to fund? And really, if you're smart, you take it an extra step and talk to the people that they've funded and see what they're like to work with. So you do as much due diligence on the investor as they're doing on you. 
Yeah, I think the problem with that is that most um, entrepreneurs that I know get sick of knocking on doors at about the 50th door and uh, they would take almost anybody if they've got the money. Well, you know, that'll, that'll bite you in the butt at the end. It really will. You know, angel investors can become devils, venture capitalists become vultures. You know, you can, you know, give up too much equity just for the money and then you get voted out. So you really need to make sure that who you're taking on fits your culture. So first of all, you have to define what your culture is sure. for your team so that you can see whether that investor is a good fit or not. Yeah. So I found my investor or my group of investors. So I'm going to go and see them at for the first time or mm. even before I see them, I would probably, they would probably ask me for a, um, some sort of a PowerPoint, a deck on what my product is. How much do I disclose to them at that point? I haven't met them yet. How much do I tell them? Well, in the pitch deck, there's two kinds of decks, one that you send without you presenting and another that you send when you pre that you use when you're presenting. The one that you yep. use when you present has even fewer words than the one that does, but Either way, don't put too many words on those slides. That's the biggest mistake I see over and over again is no one's going to read a bunch of text on a slide. So you want to – the whole goal of any pitch is to get the next meeting, just like dating. You want the next date. Right? Right. So get them – you know, give them enough that they say, ah, this person – has intrigued me enough to want to meet them and take some time to have a conversation with them. So that pitch deck has to be clear, concise, and compelling of who do you help, what problem do you solve, how big is this market, what's your barrier to entry to competition, some financial projections that make some sense so the investor can see how you think, and then really making them say, this is the right team to execute this idea, so I really want to get to know them. Yeah, a lot of... Um a lot of entrepreneurs want a D an NDA signed and a lot of them are afraid to disclose too much information because they're afraid that they've, they've got a patent pending or something and they're afraid that somebody mm. is going to steal it from them. I come across that quite often. Um, what, are you, what are your views on those? The minute you ask an accredited investor to sign an NDA, it's a no. They're not interested in stealing your ideas. It shows that you're a rookie um, because it's all about the execution of the idea, not the idea. So you need to not only be an expert on your idea, but what the competition is doing and how you differ. And, you know, investors are going to probably ask you, well, what's to prevent someone from stealing this idea or getting funded before you and growing faster? So you need to have thought that through. The classic example, I think, is Uber and Lyft. Yes. Right? There's nothing proprietary about that, right? They both do the same exact thing, but it's all about who got the funding faster, who executes it better, who's got better branding. It's the team behind it. So that's really more important than your idea. That's an interesting example because um, Uber got off to a flying start, but I think in the longer term, my money might be on Lyft. Well, Lyft have done some really smart things, like donating, I believe, a million dollars it was to the HRC when Uber was getting some negative publicity about uh, how they were treating certain people. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a marathon. It's it's not a sprint. But they're they're also working on the different types of um, of vehicles, particularly with autonomous vehicles, uh, mm -hmm. so that they can give ten different people ten different experiences to to fit their needs. Um, so. I've now sent my deck to the to the potential investor. What's the next step? 
If they like it, they will then take either a phone meeting or an in-person meeting. Your ideal scenario, which I did for one of my clients, Cole Smith, is to get them in front of an angel group. We are given 10 minutes to pitch. And then, Bob, this is the real thing that most people aren't prepared for, the 10-minute Q&A. Right. So that pitch is important, but so is the Q&A. And what I do is I give my clients the questions they're going to get asked and prepare them for the answers, such as what's it cost to acquire a new customer? If you don't have those answers ready and thought through, you're going to get a no. Right. Um, And so you can't be defensive when you get asked a question either. Sometimes they're testing to see how coachable you are. So you need to really have some skills on answering the questions that you get asked. So I tell people, make sure you understood the question properly. The biggest mistake people make is they're nervous and they don't hear the question and they answer something that the person didn't ask them. Then the investor thinks you're being cagey and it's a no. So I like to say, what I heard you say was, or let me rephrase that to make sure I got it right. Is that the, yes, that's the question. And then you answer it. And if you really want bonus points, then you ask the investor, did that answer your question? Right. So most entrepreneurs that I find um, know a hell of a lot about their product, but they know very little about how to market it. And mm. uh, they really haven't thought through that area much. And it's that's the most difficult area, really. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that inventing a new product isn't difficult, but actually finding customers for it and being able to continually roll out that so you get more and more that's hard so when the potential investors ask questions mm-hmm. they usually don't ask about the product itself do they it's usually about no it's, it's what are you going to do with my money yeah and one of the big mistakes people make is the top-down thing oh if we only get one percent of all the people who live in china to buy this we'll be rich and you want to go bottom up. I'm going to spend this much money on marketing. I'm going to hire a sales force. And we're going to hit these milestones at three months, six months, seven months. This money will last us 12 months or 18 months. And so they, you've thought through how you're going to grow it uh, and that there's a strategy in place. That's why it's so important if you're the tech person to have a marketing person on your team, if not the co-founder, so that that person has that expertise to bring to the party so that you've thought through um, what you're going to do to and one investor said to me, if you're selling dog food, I want to see the dogs eating the food. Right. <laughs> so proof of proof of concept, right? Yep. You know, you're asking people to change their behavior. So another example right. is Airbnb, right? You're answering two questions when you pitch. Why you and why now? So Airbnb would not have been successful had the economy not been in trouble in 2008. People wouldn't have been willing to rent out their home or their room to a stranger. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing with Uber. You know, if we all, the majority of us didn't have smartphones, that wouldn't work. So you really, timing is really important and that you know why now is the key to get the investor to pull the trigger now. Another problem that comes up very frequently with entrepreneurs, I need to project financials. Now, I've just invented this cup. How the hell do I work out how many of my, well, you know, there's one way what we usually do is go out and um, conduct, if it's a consumer product, um, conduct some research among consumers and you find that four out of, you know, one out of 10 would definitely buy it and two out of 10 may buy it and you mm. know, X number. And so you can extrapolate it out. But how do you actually come up with something that doesn't look too small that the investor's not going to be interested in, or too big where they turn around and say, that's just bullshit. 
Right. It, there's a fine line between that. You know, yeah. most projections are a hockey stick projection. Sure. And, um, you know, the New York Angels, for example, which is where I sent Cole Smith, and he got uh, an offer uh, for the 700000 He was seeking pre-revenue. Um, they send all of their deals and due diligence to this consulting firm who looks at the financial projections to get their input. So what I've done is develop a relationship with that organization, and I have my clients show their financial projections to that consulting firm that the angel group uses before they even get in front of the angels. Because what they're really looking for is how you think, right? That you, and if you, the more experience you have, obviously, the better it is. So you need an expert to look at those financials and say, this is unrealistic. Um, you've under-budgeted here, over-budgeted there. You'll never grow that fast. No one ever has. One of the big mistakes people make is they, quote, try to boil the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, pick your lowest hanging fruit. Pick one thing you do really well and show how that's going to grow the company before you start talking about all the other things. My favorite example is Amazon. They just sold books first. Yes. And got proof of concept on that. Yeah. I think they probably developed as they've gone. (laughs) Every day must wake up in the morning and say, gee, there's another hundred areas I can now tackle because everybody else is so bloody useless. (laughs) Well, you've got proof of concept. You've got the system in place. And, you know, if you 10x your business, the thing that probably falls down is you as the founder and your systems aren't in place. So that kind of thought needs to really be put into financial projections so that if things did take off, that you you know for example I interviewed uh, the founder of UGG right. you know the the she, you know sheepskin uh, shoes and yep. shoes and you know he had a marketing problem where he was showing models uh, in his ad and the surfers that were using it to keep their feet warm after surfing in Malibu were saying those girls in the ads clearly aren't surfers right so he had the wrong message to the right market. So right. then he got uh, up-and-coming surfers because he couldn't afford professionals to be in the ads, and the business took off. So he needed funding to meet the demand. Yeah. But, you know, because if you don't meet the demand and you've got all this advertising, then people will get mad and not come back. So you need to be prepared of what you're going to use the funding for. Okay, so I've got the nod. I've got 10 minutes in front of mm-hmm. a, um, a funding group. What's the allocation of that 10 minutes? What makes a great pitch? Well, you really only have 90 seconds in the, the first 90 seconds, even though they give you 10 minutes. You've got to grab them. I say grab their heartstrings so they'll open their purse strings. Our brains are wired to go, oh, another pitch, right? So you've right. got to give me something that I've never heard before, that a, a statistic or something that I'm like, oh, what? This is something new. Right. Uh, and then you get people right away out of that into the imagination. Imagine there was a way that, you know, people wouldn't have to wait in line in Vegas in the 100 degree heat at a convention or that you wouldn't have to stand in the rain in New York praying for a cab to come by that never comes by. Well, you don't have to imagine it because we're going to. You know, so that's how you would paint that picture for Uber. So that's 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 the official hook. Right. Don't talk and make people Guess what it is you're doing. You got to get right to it. You know, here's how big this problem is. I've personally experienced it, or whatever your core issue is that makes you uniquely qualified. That you pull them in right away, and then get them into here's the big problems we're solving, and here's our unique solutions, and here's how big this market is. And then if you have something to show of how you're doing it, any kind of look at your financials, the competition. You know, maybe a grid that shows where you are compared to the other people 
And then, of course, the team slide is the most important slide, in my opinion, based on the feedback I've heard. Yes. Why this team is uniquely qualified. Tell the story again around you and why you know your story of origin, why you're so passionate about this. It has to be more than just making money to keep going. And then anybody else who might be on your advisory board that's, you know, that's involved, any you know, letters of intent, any kind of traction, it doesn't have to be revenue. And then you're asking what you're going to do with that money. So that's, that's 10 minutes. You can see how a product demo is not a big part of that. And again, the goal is to get the next meeting. Okay. When asked, most people say that they would rather die than go out and stand in front of people and speak. Mm. Um, which I find amazing, you know, being a speaker and you're a speaker yeah. as well. I, I don't have any trouble with it. But um, what are the secrets to increasing your confidence before you walk out there in front of a room full of people that have heard everything before? Well, Arthur Ashe said it best, I think. The key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. Right. So you need to practice your pitch. Uh, and people say, oh, I don't want to do that. I'll sound robotic. I'm like, no, you're not memorizing it, but you're practicing it. And then you need to practice it in front of strangers and see if they understand what you're saying. Because your friends and family are like, oh, yeah, I've heard it. It's good. You're good. You need to really say, oh, did I lose you there? Did I confuse you there? So the other secret I have for building up your uh, confidence is something I call stacking your moments of certainty. Right. which simply means you write down three or four things when you knew you nailed it, right? You interviewed for a job, you got an offer. You um, went and got a customer, they said yes. You asked somebody out on a date, you got the second date. Put that in your head as you're getting ready to go into the room as opposed to the negative self-talk. Sure. Uh, they'll never invest. No one else has said yes yet. If I don't get this money, I'm going to go out a bit. You know, any of that will cause your confidence to plummet. So when you stack your moments of certainty and you're prepared – and you get those butterflies in your stomach, which is really just adrenaline, to fly in formation, right? Yeah. Get all your self-focus off yourself. I think part of the reason people get so scared is they're worried about do people like me and the judging. You make it about them and not about you, and that'll also really help your confidence. Right. So storytelling, I know from my presentations that um, when I tell a story – People remember it. I have people coming up to me that saw me 20 years ago and say, I still tell that story that you told about whatever it was um, because they remember that. They don't remember the figures. They don't remember all the peripheral stuff. So can you give us an example of how storytelling helps increase sales? Sure. Um, well, first of all, it's again back to the, how our brain is wired, right? When we sell, talk about numbers and give people things to compare and contrast, that's the left side. We're analytical. We've got our arms crossed. We're going, hmm. But if I say, let me tell you a story, right. you relax, right? It's the right side of your brain. Then you're in your imagination. Maybe this will even be entertaining. And the real secret to good storytelling, Bob, is to put the listener in the story with them. So if you're telling a story and someone can imagine themselves on that journey, especially when you're telling a case study of here's somebody else who is just like you. They were struggling to get their revenues up. They didn't know how to pitch. They were stumbling through the pitch and they were nervous and they were confusing people and worse, they were boring people. And I took that person from stumbling to soaring, from confusing to clarity, from boring to inspiring. And when he did all those things with a great story of why he was so passionate about this startup, the investors all wanted to fund him. Does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on? Then people are like, yes, because they identify with the struggle that person had, and they realize 
that if I could take that person on the journey, they might want to go on that same journey. Okay, so I've I've given my presentation and there's 50 people in the room and five have come up and said, look, I'm really interested in talking further about this. Mm. What's the next step? Well, the next step is to really, you know, while someone's really interested, get that booked in, right? right. Like, okay, great. I've got my phone here. Let's book a time for a phone call or coffee, right? And ask them, what was it about my pitch that really resonated with you? Get them to be specific because that's the gold that you can then feed back to them. Like, oh, I really like that you're keeping our schools safer or that you're helping low-income students with their math problems. Whatever it is that you're solving, um, or I really like that story you told of, you know, how you were in the Amazon jungle and had to survive. And that tells me that you've got somebody who's got tenacity, right? So figure out what it is about your pitch that made it interesting to them and, you know, continue to build that relationship. You know, the big thing is if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I never thought about it before, but it's, it's, it's really true. You want to have collaborative conversations. You know, like, here's my idea. You've heard my pitch. I'd love to get your opinion on how I can make this even better. More right. collaboration, less about the money. If you say, oh, I'm glad you like my pitch. Where's your checkbook, right? Then they might start giving you advice. Like, you know what? I think you're too early. I think you're too late. But if you start, you know, asking for the advice first, you haven't, they're like, I like this person. I, I'm collaborating with them. I could really see myself not just investing, but having a part in growing this. Hmm. So what are the red flag no-no's? When you're you're in a you're a an entrepreneur, you're talking to an investor. What are the absolute throw up a red flag? I shouldn't take this guy's money. Oh, okay. So from the investor's standpoint, right? Uh, so you're near doing your due diligence on the investor because there's lots of red flags that you get the red flag by, as we talked about, asking them to sign a non-disclosure, saying you don't have any competition, saying you're only getting one percent of the market. So assuming you didn't do any of those mistakes. The things that uh, the red flags when you're talking to a potential investor is uh, if they won't let you talk to anyone else that they funded, okay. right? If they're sure. they're keeping that, you know, most people are happy, you know, they're happy with that relationship, right? They uh, and if they start to um, make you feel less than, they treat you with less respect than you want, right? Because this is the dating part, right? If you know, it's just like in dating. Someone shows you who they are, believe it the first time, right? And like, oh, well, maybe they're having a bad day. No, no. They're a jerk. They're going to be a jerk now. They're going to be a jerk six months from now, and they're really going to be a jerk when they give you their money. Right. So uh, if they start, you know, there's a different way to ask someone a question, right? You know, I'm curious, have you thought of this? As opposed to, oh, my God, you know, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I bet you haven't even figured out what your competition's doing, right? Whoa, you know, that's a red flag. Yep. Okay. Now, there's an old saying that I've always found to be true, and the saying is that the best way to destroy a business is to take on a partner. Um, you know, partners always have, at some point, um, a divergence of opinion. It's it's extremely difficult to work in business with a partner. So, what should you look for when you're taking on people to be involved in your journey, or investors to take on as partners what are the most important things to look for uh shared values mutual respect 
and an ability to clear the air with good communication. I think that's the key to any relationship, personal or business. And then that that person shares your vision and is very clear that even though they have some ideas and money, that it's still you are the ultimate decision maker based on equity ownership and all that other stuff. So I think that's really the three criteria I would recommend. So how do you how do you determine um, what interest in the business you should offer to an in- investor? I mean that that's got to be difficult when you've because the actual value of the company um, mm-hmm. in real terms is a hell of a lot less than what you think it is because of all the work you've put in it. So how mm. do you decide if you're asking somebody for a hundred thousand or a million or whatever it is what equity in the company they should get for that? Well, it really is an art. It's not this exact science. Um, And one of the best things you can do is have really good people on your team and really good people on your advisory board. Right. That that helps um, negotiate, get your valuation up. There's all kinds of methods. You know, there's a Berkus method of evaluation. Your early money is going to be your most expensive money. You're going to have to because that whoever comes in early is taking the most amount of risk, and therefore they want the biggest upside. So you just have to realize that. Uh, popular now is convertible notes, yes. where you're not, you know, coming up with a fixed value right at the, you know, at the moment, and that it changes as the company grows. Um, so there's, you know, there's a that's a whole separate uh, topic. But I think being reasonable and you know doing the math and understanding, like if I ask for ten percent and a million dollars, then that gives my company X, you know, valuation, and what's that based on? Um, and not just your own perception. It's kind of like selling a house, right? It doesn't matter what you think and how much sweat equity you put into the house. It's what the comps are. Yeah. So from a, from an investor's point of view, would they rather an equity position or um, or a convertible note? Which is which is the most popular? Which is well. Uh, I think some people are willing to do convertible notes because they realize um, that things change and you know you know things get diluted and all that kind of stuff. So um, you know it really is all how experienced the team is that determines how comfortable the investors are in what their initial uh, offering is. Right. Okay. So let's talk about um, John Liverside for a minute. <laughs> I would imagine that for most entrepreneurs, certainly nearly every entrepreneur that comes to me, consulting with you would be an enormous benefit. So I'm an entrepreneur, I'm sitting out there listening to this show thinking, God, I need all that knowledge and that um, all those techniques to be able to get investors. Is it going to send me broke to hire John Liversay? Well, you know, I think if you're starting any business, you need to have some capital, either from friends and family or your own money. Whether you're opening a bakery, you still have to buy the supplies. So the biggest mistake people make is putting all their money uh, on a patent or hiring all these lawyers, you know, to get all everything set up. And you need some of that. But the number one reason people go out of business is lack of customers and then lack of funding. So I say you have to invest in learning this ecosystem, right? It's a dance, it's a language, and you can try it on your own or you can hire me as, think of me as a Sherpa. So I charge $5,000 to work with people for 10 one-hour one-on-one sessions to get their pitch right, to get them you know, practiced and the answers that they need, all of the things, and then start making strategic introductions to investors, getting offers, 
and then ideally getting more than one offer so I can help them through that due diligence process. So do you help people actually get in front of Pasadena Angels? or Yes. Mm-hmm. So you actually do that as well? So, yes. Because I find, I find for most entrepreneurs, trying to find investors is a very difficult um, task. Well, I've interviewed, I've interviewed over 100 investors from different um, angel groups and VCs on my podcast, and they tell me every day, bring me good deals. Yeah. And if you introduce me to somebody, we're going to trust that they have a good pitch because you're the pitch whisperer. So that's what I have to really say to people. It's not just the introduction. It's having the good pitch to get the yes. For example, I interviewed Ben Nazarin in Silicon Valley, and he said, yeah. I like to see the team slide as the second slide. Well, that's not the normal order of a slide deck. Sure. but. Now, he, I know that when I connect people who he likes to invest in artificial intelligence and big things like that, that we go, let's make sure that team slide is the second slide on the pitch deck because that's what Ben wants to see. So it's knowing all those nuances that really make the difference to get them to say yes and get the next meeting. What are your views on um, crowdfunding? Oh, I'm a big proponent of equity crowdfunding, not the rewards crowdfunding, but there's one called dreamfunded.com started by Manny Fernandez, who is also an accredited investor. He was on CNBC's Make Me a Millionaire Inventor. Um, And now that the laws have changed since May of last year, you don't have to be an accredited investor to invest. And you, uh, it really helps people uh, get their startup out there. But again, in crowdfunding, you have to bring your own crowd. Yep. So social proof is still important. Uh, if you're trying to raise, in, you know, $100,000, $500,000, you need to show that you're almost halfway there from friends and family so people go, oh, there's some traction here. Uh, and again, the story is equally important. But you can do rounds now with uh, dreamfunded.com and an angel group. You know, one can raise 250 and an angel group goes, okay, then we're in for 250 and now you've got your 500. So it's really changing the way things are done and I think it's fantastic. And you give advice on crowdfunding, Kickstarter, etc. Well. Yes, I mean I usually just work with people who need 250 and up. Right. Um, so the uh, rewards, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, that's Indiegogo, that's typically under that amount. Yeah. So that's not what my specialty is. I'm equity crowdfunding, angel investing, and VC investing. Okay, John, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You can learn more about John Liversay at John at SuccessfulPitchPodcast.com. And I advise everybody as an entrepreneur to go and find that five grand because I think it will make one hell of a difference, not only right now when you're out there looking for investors, but for the rest of your life. So um, it's a great $5,000 investment. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting today from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, where technology meets entertainment. God, can you believe that in just a couple of days we're in June already? 
It seems like only yesterday we were celebrating Christmas. Oh, well, time flies. The American Civil Liberties Union and a whole bunch of other privacy activists, they're asking Amazon to stop marketing a powerful facial recognition recognition, a powerful facial recognition tool and they're selling them to police saying law enforcement agencies could use the technology to easily build a system to automate the identification and tracking of pretty much anyone. The tool called recognition, pretty good name, with a K, is already being used by the Washington County Sheriff's Office in Oregon to check photographs of unidentified suspects against a database of mugshots from the county jail. The use of facial recognition with police body cameras, I guess that also applies to safety and traffic cameras that monitor public areas, will allow police to identify and track people in real time. I'm a great supporter of this. I feel that if you haven't done anything wrong, then who the, who the hell cares if somebody recognises my face? Um, recognition was introduced in 2016 and it was built as a tool for marketers to spot celebrities and weed out R-rated content. But with the rapid growth of the video surveillance market, Amazon pitched the tech to law enforcement. Two pilot programs have already nabbed criminals in real time using body camera images. So you walk along with your body camera on. The faces that you um, see are compared with recognition. And if you're a bad guy, bing, you're caught. Sounds pretty good to me. The tech giant's entry into the market could vastly accelerate identifying and tracking people with potentially dire consequences for minorities who are already arrested in disproportionate rates, immigrants who may be here illegally, or political protesters. Mm. See, I worry about use by the police against, say, um, Black Lives Matter movement, for example. Now, Washington County Sheriff's Office deputies are using it about 20 times a day to identify burglary suspects in store surveillance footage. Last month, the agency adopted policies governing its use, noting that officers in the field can use real-time face recognition to identify suspects who are unwilling or unable to provide their own ID. So the cops can just say, well, give me your ID. No, well, here we go. It costs the sheriff's office just $400 to load 305,000 booking photos into the system and $6 a month in fees. So it's as cheap as chips. But it can be used for other things. British broadcaster Sky News used recognition to help viewers identify celebrities at the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle just two weeks ago. Meanwhile... In China, facial recognition is used widely by law enforcement and uh, Chinese police deployed face pro facial profiling technology to arrest a man in a crowd of 60,000 at a concert. Wow. It's estimated that over 2 billion of these devices that will 
facially recognised people will be in use worldwide by just 2023, which is only five years away. Woo. Now, police departments around the US are issuing personnel body cameras to provide greater public transparencies. These cameras connect and provide governments and law enforcement with huge quantities of data and cities are looking to take advantage of the data captured by the com- by these cameras and big tech companies like Amazon have experience with image recognition that can help governments in this effort. After the Crypto Invest Summit a couple of months ago sold out, the organisers decided to more than double the size of the show's footprint this October, 22nd and 23rd. So there's more expo space, more breakout rooms and meeting space. It's going to be one hell of an event. So the, the summit will bring out the biggest investors and entrepreneurs in the crypto space. So go on to cryptoinvestsummit.io and book now. You'll save about 800 bucks. Remember, if you're not living in the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll be back broadcasting from my studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.